0: Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced for RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Gary Barker. And I'm Leon Gittler. And this is episode 36 in our series for 2017, and today's date is Friday, October the 6th. And Leon, this week we're chatting with Mirabelle Winford
1: of Pure Baby. Yeah, Mirabai Winford, uh, she sets up her company which is selling baby gear for infants and uh, she's going to be talking to us all about this niche market. Yeah, it's a pretty specialised niche market. It's kind of a lay down was there because the
0: mums want the best for their babies.
1: That's right, that's right. Anyway, it's going to be a great chat with her about how she set up the business, how it's run and it's it's really good for entrepreneurs to listen to that.
0: And then after that, we call upon the wisdom of uh, AMP Chief Economist Shane Oliver, uh, who has a look at how stands the wind for the Australian economy.
1: That's right, and uh, how the market will be travelling this quarter. Okay, so let's hear about Pure Baby. Maribai Winford, tell us about Pure Baby.
2: Pure Baby is an organic babywear company specialising in organic cotton based in Australia, And we also sell overseas online, we wholesale, and we have 24 locations uh, across Australia.
1: And so who do you sell to? Who are your principal clients?
2: Our client is a mother between the ages of 26 and 35. Uh, They are searching for the very best for their baby. They've waited a long time uh, to have a baby and they are looking for something really beautiful to put on their baby
1: and so i mean but who do you sell to in terms of stores
2: so in terms of stores we wholesale our product uh, throughout australia in uh, boutiques and also in department stores like david jones and baby bunting Uh, we also uh, sell our product through our own retail stores as well as uh, online so we have quite a thriving online business
1: now you you have a concession with David Jones, don't you?
2: That's right. So we have nine concession locations uh, throughout Australia. We also have a, a online concession business within David Jones.
1: Concession business means you provide the sales staff, doesn't it?
2: That's right. So we actually control the stock, the actual fit out and also the staffing
1: as I understand it, you train your stale staff to be
2: childhood educators, is that right? That's right. So, we actually have quite a thick training manual and we actually cover everything from how to swaddle the baby, uh, when the baby begins to crawl, what they might need to wear um, and also everything to do with how um, what you need to prepare for the imminent arrival. Of your baby, so we actually run uh, what we call nesting workshops within some of our larger flagship stores at Chadstone and Doncaster and Chatswood Shopping Centre in New South Wales.
1: No wonder, no wonder it's uh, good having a concession with an outfit like David Jones. You'd want to be charge of sales too.
2: That's right. So we we really like our product to be sold uh, within an environment that uh, really encapsulates the essence of the brand. So we like to have all of our fixtures and our product um, mix looking fabulous
1: now retail is in a state of there's a number of retailers gone out of business they've gone into receivership and they're bracing themselves here for the impact of amazon now how do you see that
2: well well i think the introduction of amazon is going to be very, really positive for consumers so Consumers are going to find that the actual efficiency, the logistics are going to improve and their expectation is really going to rise. So what that's going to do for businesses is really force us into jumping and being competitive uh, with that level of service. So I think um, whilst it's going to be very positive for customers to be able to access product a little bit more efficiently, businesses here in Australia are going to be forced to be competitive and to match that level of of service.
0: Do you have an export business?
2: We have actually sold to Amazon in the US, so a very small array of products. So I think it's going to be incredibly important uh, for businesses in Australia to have a really unique point of difference in the marketplace. So Amazon might compete very heavily with more generic product, whereas I think uh, with our business um, and Pure Baby, we actually have – we operate in a niche market of baby wear, and then within that niche, we actually of, operate within an even more specialised niche, making our products out of organic cotton. So customers, uh, when they shop with us, they're actually being – educated about what they need for their for the birth of their child they're being um, told how to swaddle a baby given hospital lists giving given a really high level of customer service when they enter our stores so what's going to be really important with the introduction of um, internationals like amazon is that um, brands have a unique point of difference that they themselves have a global presence and that they increase their customer service uh, to match uh, the expectations in by uh, larger players in the market
0: your business is largely about design do you find that like a lot of other people including the the top the dngs and the Britonis and people they get their designs knocked off does that happen to pure baby
2: definitely and it's obviously very flattering there's a lot of uh, brands that uh, like to pick up on some of our prints and and definitely I've seen uh, one of our original uh, designs that I made late at night in a factory in India, uh, one of our zip suits. That's most definitely been replicated throughout the marketplace but we have to keep innovating and keep changing and um, I guess keep changing the, the beauty in the designs. Um, we're in baby wear so people always... need to dress their baby. So Mm. even in times of recession, um, I've seen that our sales have actually increased, uh, so people take time off work and they might sacrifice buying themselves a jacket, but they certainly don't want to sacrifice buying their child uh, clothing.
1: And I see uh, you've got a whole design team out there.
2: That's right. So in our head office, uh, we employ around... 30 people and out in the stores another 70, so we're a team of about 100 people. We have a really strong design team um, who I actually direct, I'm the creative director in the company and every single print is designed from scratch, every single garment really is um, a garment that is functional and that um, has features and benefits that suit the busy lifestyles of our customers. So things are easy, beautiful organic cotton so the fabric's nice and soft on a baby's skin. And um in ten years' time, where do you see the business? So in we we've always been ahead of the trend. So many years ago when I started the business, we actually produced a full range of organic cotton that was certified and that was really back then a new thing. So the shift in the attention to the environment um, is now becoming very relevant. So people are looking towards lifestyle products and wellness products and things that suit the health of the environment and their baby. So we really believe that our product has just gained momentum and the future lies ahead for us. So we actually see our stores um, growing in the footprint, but the stores will be smaller stores. They won't be large-scale stores in shopping centres. They'll be smaller hubs, if you like, uh, where our customer can engage uh, with the brand and also experience it. But many of the sales will be uh, channeled to online. So there'll be sort of a seamless integration between these experience centres um, to sales that uh, channel to our online.
1: So the experience centres, as you call them, will be more like shop fronts for an online
2: That's right. Purchase. So they're, they're really... They're stores in the future will behave as showrooms. So bricks-and-mortar stores will be like showrooms that operate to channel s- uh, sales online. So it's not that there's um, a a massive drop in traffic to shopping centres there is a minor drop in traffic to shopping centres but the shift and the focus is really towards fine dining experiences so when i started uh, chadston our first flagship store at chadston we designed the store so that all of the fixtures would be movable we had the idea that we would have guest speakers talking about nutrition yoga mornings, book readings for children. It wasn't about pure sales, it was about creating an environment where our customer could engage with us. So very early on when I started first started the business, I used to have a lot of customers that would come in and just chat to me and they were escaping being at home with the baby all day and they didn't necessarily want to buy anything but they wanted to Have an experience so they wanted to come in and listen to a guest speaker about nutrition or learn what they needed to take in uh, to hospital with them. They really wanted information so none of our trainings that we've done have ever been about pure sales. They've been about educating, helping, nurturing and inspiring our customers with the product.
1: Sounds like it'll be a very exciting time ahead for Retail.
2: Very, very exciting. So I think that um, we've had enormous growth in online. So I think the future will be with online and also um, growing our business um, internationally through an online channel. So 97% of customers or parents shop online. So I think um, the convenience that that offers is very difficult to ignore. So I think that just having a, a really seamless integration between what we do in bricks-and-mortar stores and also what we do online, being able to, you know, ship from store, click and collect, all of these things, we've recently invested quite heavily in the back end of our website um, and that will only make it easier for our customer to access products.
1: Winford. Thank you very much for your time.
2: Been a pleasure. Thank you it's an
0: interesting business, isn't it, Leon? It's very specific and it depends a lot on
1: quality. I think it does too, but uh, she's obviously got her market mapped out. It's growing. So now, Shane Oliver. Shane Oliver, we had a very ordinary last quarter with the share market. What do you see happening for this quarter coming up?
3: Well, hopefully the Aussie share market will break out of the very narrow range it's been in now for more than three months. In the very short term, the very very short term, there's still risks around North Korea which could cause a bit of gyration, and of course a risk with the US share market having risen so high that it might have a decent pullback at last, which would drag our share market down. But against a backdrop of pretty good global growth, rising profits globally, and of course in Australia, um, and still very easy monetary policy around the world, the broad trend in the share market should resume to the upside. So my feeling is that we'll end the year quite a bit higher than we are at the moment, closer to the 6,000 level, although I doubt we'll break through it. Probably, I mean, my target is sort of up around 58.50 or thereabouts by year end. So, a bit of uncertainty in the short term. This range-bound trading might continue for a while yet, but I do think we'll head higher by year end.
1: Well, the US share market's been going great, guns. I mean, they, they, broke, they set records last week, didn't they?
3: We have certainly seen the US share market set uh, records periodically right through this year, and that, in fact, has been the case since about 2013. The US share market has been uh, going great guns, and that reflects the stronger profit uh, backdrop in the US um, and uh, the tighter US economy than what we've been seeing in Australia. I think Australia's been held back by a bunch of things. Volatility in uh, the resources sector profits pretty good this year, but not so good uh, a year or two ago. And of course, uh, fairly messy performances by Australian companies or constrained performances by Australian companies in terms of their profitability. But America's also had the benefit of money Um, it's now coming to an end in the US, whereas we haven't had money printing. We've had much higher interest rates. Even today with the Fed raising interest rates, they've, they've still got lower interest rates than we have. So that combination of uh, better economic conditions in the US and easier monetary policy has certainly helped the US share market relative to the Aussie share market.
1: And of course, you've got the uh, prospect of well, Donald Trump's talking up his tax reforms. And I mean, it's still got to get that through Congress, but uh, the share markets responded pretty positively to that as well.
3: It's certainly been the case that uh, periodic talk of tax cuts in the US, both at a corporate level and a household level, have uh, also buoyed the US share market. I don't know that the US share market's totally uh, factored it in at the moment. I think there's still a degree of scepticism that those uh, tax cuts will get passed. But if they do, then they will provide a pretty good boost. If you cut the corporate tax rate in America, which is currently 35 cents in the dollar, down to even 25 cents in the dollar, that's quite a huge boost to US companies, particularly the high tax paying companies. Um, And if that occurs, uh, that would would further help the US share market. Obviously, debate about whether it will occur or not. um, But I think at the end of the day, the Republicans have this this little window where they do control both houses of Congress and uh, the presidency and I think they know that. They know that uh, come November next year, the midterm elections, they'll probably lose control of the House and uh, their, then their window of opportunity to get their tax tax <coughs> rates down will have, uh, will have passed and they won't have achieved anything. So I think there is a lot of pressure on the Republicans to get this done and I think we will see some action, tax rates down in the US.
1: The other great unknown is what happens at the Fed. I mean, Donald Trump has been been interviewing people in line for the fed and uh they're all sort of very strong pro deregulatory uh, environment but uh we don't know what's going to happen with janet yellen she may be renewed he's indicated uh, he, he may renew but uh his
3: obviously canvassing options. Uh, how's the share market going to react to that? At the end of the day, it ultimately depends on who's appointed to the Fed. If a more hawkish chairperson is appointed, um, and then the share market may initially sell off in response to that. But if alternatively it's uh, someone like Janet Yellen, who's known to be uh, somewhat dovish and gradual in uh, their approach to monetary policy, then obviously the best outcome for the share market would be the reappointment of Janet Yellen, because investors would say, well, we know her, There's no great uh, surprises there. You could also make an argument that Janet Yellen might be the best option for Donald Trump because it uh, preserves a degree of stability at a time when he can then fight other battles uh, that he chooses to. Um, But uh, anyway, time will tell on that one. At the end of the day, if you go back through history, um, the Fed will do ultimately what it has has to do, notwithstanding short-term uncertainties. And we have seen shifts before from Greenspan to Bernanke to Yellen, um, and ultimately the Fed will Do whatever it needs to do to keep the US economy on track. But uh, there could be short term uncertainty um, regarding that shift at the Fed at some point, notwithstanding the fact that over the long term it may not make a lot of difference.
1: Now Janet Yellen gave a speech last week where she was indicating that the US Fed will press on with uh, rate hikes uh, regardless of the uncertainty uh, with things like the labour market and and inflation. Uh, How will that affect the share market?
3: Well of course it all depends on the circumstances uh, when she's raising rates. If she does push on regardless of what's happening in the US economy then I think the share market would take that badly but I get the impression from Janet Yellen that she's still very dependent on how the economy's going and if you read their formal uh, statements post their meetings and what have you it does does say that uh, continued tightening, continued interest rate hikes is conditional the U.S. economy meeting the Fed's expectations for growth and uh, a pickup up in inflation? So I think at the end of the day, the Fed will remain gradual, um, but by the same token, you know, moves on monetary policy will be tied to continued improvement in the U.S. economy. And I think, providing that's the case, then that should be okay for shares because investors will say, as they've said over the last few years, well, the Fed's only tightened because the economy is better, um, and that means higher profits. So what's been taken away on the one hand, you know, easy money has been gradually reduced, um, is being replaced by stronger profits on the other hand and that sort of is an, is an okay environment for the share market. I think what Janet Yellen was trying to say was that uh, she has to be balanced, that uh, there is a case to be gradual in raising interest rates in the US by the same token that they don't want to be too gradual um, and find themselves uh, behind the curve so to speak and, uh, you know, ending up with an inflation problem, gradual tightening um, but at the moment they can still afford to be gradual.
1: And of course the US interest rate rates are very low anyway so i mean if, if there's a gradual increase uh, it's it's coming off a very low base
3: it is true that america is coming off a very low base in fact there's a lot of talk about rising interest rates around the world canada the uk talking about it um, us all of these countries are coming from much lower levels of interest rates than seen in australia so you know yes their rising rates doesn't mean we necessarily have to follow them that they are coming from a low base. Don't forget, America's been raising interest rates now for, for almost two years, and all they've managed to do is just get back to just above 1%. They're still below interest rates in Australia.
1: And, uh, of course, uh, the issue now is uh, with the RBA. I mean, the RBA is meeting today and they're expected to keep rates on hold uh, for another uh, record period, 13 months, I think. Everyone will be scouring their comments to see what lies ahead and there's an expectation that they will be raising rates. How will that affect the Australian market?
3: Well, in Australia, it all depends on on where we are at the time when they start moving on rates. I think at the moment, if the Fed, if the Reserve Bank rather... uh, uh, um, raised in, were to raise interest rates, then the Australian share market would take it very badly because the Aussie share market, the Aussie economy is not quite as strong as the US economy. We're not seeing anywhere near that strength in profit growth the US has been seeing, for example. And so if the, uh, the RBA were to move, it would be seen as a, as, a, as a mistake. And I think also the other fear would be that a, a, an interest rate hike in Australia would put upwards pressure on the value of the Aussie dollar, which would which would then double the, the negative impact. You'd have a higher Australian dollar, all of which would mean um, a much tougher time for Australian companies. If alternatively the Reserve Bank were to wait nine months, a year or so, and then gradually move towards raising rates and then gradually do it, then I think the market would probably take that in its stride, providing the economy has picked up steam in the process. If we've headed back to the Reserve Bank's own forecasts of growth around 3%, inflation back within the target zone, if in that environment the RBA starts raising rates that the market would probably take that in its stride just as we've seen ultimately in the US that uh, you know initial moves can cause a bit of uncertainty but ultimately the market digests it because it can see the stronger profits coming through. But if they were to move right now, I think that would be a major problem for the Aussie share market.
1: So you would say the Aussie rate rises would be a 2018
3: story? Yeah, we're looking for rate hikes in Australia in 2018. We think we have seen the bottom most probably and uh, the next move will be up but probably not until sometime in the second half of 2018. 18. If it does get brought forward, it will only be because of stronger economic uh, data, stronger figures on retail sales, consumer spending, uh, jobs, and so on. That our, our base case is that the conditions won't be strong enough to justify a hike until sometime in the second half of next year. Shane Oliver, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Well, how do you read that, uh, Leon? Well, it's very interesting, you see, the Australian market uh, has been underperforming, it's, uh, it's had some very bad days and uh, where it's fallen, and uh, it's in stark contrast to the US market, which is hitting record highs. Now, a lot of that's uh, because of uh, Donald Trump's promises of tax cuts, but uh, it also might highlight issues in Australia about concerns about interest rates and high debt levels. And also political. Uncertainty. That's right. The state of the
0: parliament is pretty bad. Okay, so now. The news. Leon, what have you got in the bin?
1: Well, Gary, British Prime Minister Theresa May has conceded Britain might emerge from the European Union negotiations with no Brexit deal. She told BBC television she hoped to have a divorce deal by March 2019, but indicated government departments are working on contingency plans for what to do if Brexit talks with the European Union collapse with no deal. And the prospect of no deal is regarded as the worst possible scenario by economists and under pressure for losing her Party's majority in the June election, Ms May apologised for the electoral debacle, insists she has a strategy that could secure a Brexit deal for Britain. Facing a resurgent Labour Party, Tory rebellions over energy prices and the uh, universal credit rollout, signs that her foreign sector is gearing up for a leadership challenge, uh, Theresa May tried using the Conservative Conference in Manchester to announce policies targeting young voters who abandoned the Conservatives at the last election. And her observations came at a time when Foreign Minister Boris. Johnson set out four personal red lines in the complex talks with the EU Diverging from May's position on Brexit And uh, some Conservatives reckon May will be gone before any Brexit deal is done Thousands of demonstrators descended on Manchester Demanding a second Brexit referendum and an end to the government's austerity policies And Gary, her speech to the conference could have marked the end of her career When she gave her speech, a prankster tried giving her a P- 45 form, now for those who've never been in England, a P45 form is the form you give to employees when they finish their employment, setting out their tax uh, payments and all of that otherwise known as the pink slip. <laughs> that's right, and the uh, and the prankster said, oh Boris made me do it yeah. <laughs> and uh, then she got into a coughing fit and then the letters on the sign be- signs behind her started falling off, and so it was a disastrous
0: speech very bad, and a lot of people,
1: Britain being Brit And they'll make fun of her. And meanwhile, Boris is on his bike. That's right, that's right. And that's not good uh, for signs of the Britain and the... uh EU negotiations.
0: Mark you the EU's in a bit of strife over Catalonia
1: and Absolutely absolutely and the Spanish Prime Minister has indicated that uh, their referendum has no legal weight and he could and Spain could move in and take over which would make it all the worse Start would in effect would be a civil war that's right. That's and right. would it would harden a lot of Catalan
0: feeling. And it's very dangerous for the whole future of the EU come to that.
1: Well, yes, yes. And the, the issue, too, is that Catalonia is the richest part of Spain. I mean, they pay something like 20% of Spain's taxes. Yes. So it's a real problem. But I mean, if, any, if any people have been to Barcelona and uh, that part of Catalonia, you'll know that the Catalans are fiercely independent.
0: The hard line from uh, Madrid is not helping. There should be much more conciliatory. And then I think the Catalans would soften their approach
1: Give them a little bit And they'd be happy I think Well I think an issue, I think it has to be worked out. Something has to be worked out. Otherwise we're looking at a Spanish Civil War, but more to the point, it will damage Europe. Very much. Now, the future of US Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen is on the line with US President Donald Trump indicating he'll decide who will lead the central bank within the next three weeks. And it will be one of the most important economic decisions he'll make because the Fed has a role of safeguarding the US economy and is looked upon as a source of global financial stability. And Trump told reporters we had four meetings for Fed Chair and I'll be making a decision over the next two to three weeks. Uh, Trump and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin met with former Federal Reserve Governor Kevin Walsh to discuss the job. They interviewed Federal Reserve Governor Jerome Powell. Another candidate is former Goldman Sachs executive uh, Gary Cohn, although he reportedly fell out of favour after criticising Mr Trump's response to the Charlottesville incident. Now, Mr Trump has not ruled out reappointing Janet Yellen when her term runs out in February, but he's making it clear that he's canvassing alternatives. And Ms Yellen told reporters last week she hadn't met with the president since early this year. And of course, during the campaign, Trump criticised Ms Yellen for doing President Barack Obama's bidding and making a job political by keeping interest rates low. Yep, more Trump confusion. Now, Gary, a cautious Reserve Bank of Australia has kept the cash rate steady at 1.5%. That had been forecast by Marcus and Economist. It means the last time the RBA increased rates was in August 2016, when the then-Governor Glenn Stevens cut rates by a quarter of a percentage points. Now, central banks around the world are indicating they will normalise crisis era monetary policy rate, rate settings and start increasing rates. So the market will now be focusing on when the RBA plans to lift rates in Australia. Now, most traders are expecting this will happen in 2018. There was no indication in the RBA statement the RBA was thinking of doing that sooner, but it noted that borrowing by investors had slowed a little recently.
0: Yeah, and there's a story in the papers this morning say that most mortgagees. Haven't got a clue. They don't know what's going on.
1: Well, that's a finding by UBS, mm. and uh, UBS's Jonathan Mott said one third of uh, borrowers are financially illiterate, and yep. uh, because they don't, they don't know whether they're on interest-only loans. Yeah, and that could be nasty
0: if the uh, RBA raises rates. Absolutely.
1: Now, the International Monetary Fund has warned that surging household debt in markets like Australia contains financial risks, including banking crises. The IMF's latest global Financial Stability Report warns that a higher household debt to GDP ratio is typically associated with higher economic growth and lower unemployment but the effects are reversed in three to five years. And the IMF said, moreover, higher growth in household debt is associated with a greater probability of banking crises. These adverse effects are stronger when household debt is higher. And the IMF noted that the level of household debt to GDP remains high by historical standards and it said household debt had, in their words, kept growing in other advanced economies such as Australia and Canada. It's a bit of a worry now, um, Australian consumer confidence has fallen again, slipping 0.6% in the week, ending the 1st of October highlighting how uncertain people are about the economy. The ANZ Roy Moore Consumer Confidence Index found that while views about current economic conditions had improved since the low point in May, sentiments towards both current and future conditions remain below their long run averages. And also growth in Australia's services sector has slowed down with the Australian Industry Group Australian Performance of Services Index falling 0.9 points to 52.1 in September. Now that marks the seventh consecutive month of expansion with any score above 50 pointing to growth but the trend shows a deceleration. All the sub-indexes posted slower growth than recorded in August. Sales were down 0.6 points to 52.9 New orders fell 2.3 points to 51.9 Employment was down 1.1 points to 51.4 and stocks were down 3.1 points to 51.8 and respondents in retail and hospitality reported reduced spending by consumers, citing a mix of increased household electricity costs, flat income growth and relatively poor consumer confidences. And businesses in Western Australia still appear to be suffering tougher conditions than those in the eastern states in September.
0: And another elephant in the room is the uh, rising cost of energy and the damage it's doing to what's left of our manufacturing industries.
1: Well, that's right. Indeed, the Australian manufacturing industry has also decelerated after August spike to a 15-year high with the australian industry group australian performance of manufacturing index falling by 5.6 points to 54.2 in september now the data shows manufacturing is still expanding but it's at a slower pace any score above 50 indicates growth and september marked the 12th consecutive month of expansion for the australian pmi figures the longest run of expansion since 2007. now the data shows all seven manufacturing subsectors expanded led by non-metallic mineral products which hit a new record high but that was at a slower rate than August. The New Order sub-index dropped 8.4 points to 55.9 points in September. The Employment sub-index fell by further 4 points to 52.4 in September, indicating a slower rate of expansion. And the data also showed a rare spike of in-, in exports of construction-related products for emergency relief and reconstruction in the US following recent hurricane damages. Manufacturers also reported good demand for apartment and infrastructure construction, mining and agricultural equipment, as well as renewables and utilities. And a longer colder winter reportedly contributed to increased demand for heating equipment. But as you say, Gary, the issue is the rising energy costs. Some
0: companies that use a lot of energy, their energy costs gone up. Nearly a hundred percent.
1: I don't know how many businesses can stay operating on now the hot East Coast property market is losing steam with the latest CoreLogic report showing Sydney property prices have dropped for the first time in almost one and a half years. The data shows Sydney home values slipped 0.1% over the month. Sydney's quarterly result was the slowest since values fell by 2.2% over the March quarter of 2016. Melbourne's property prices were up 0.9% for the month, up 2% for the quarter. The strongest housing market was in Hobart where dwelling values surged 14.3% over the 12 months, which is the highest annual growth since 2004. And CoreLogic Head of Research Tim Lawless said the combined capital city trend growth is losing steam. Dwelling values up 0.7% over the September quarter were well down over the recent peak rate of quarter-on-quarter growth, which was recorded at 3.5% over the December 2016 quarter. So that's 0.7 versus 3.5. And falling values in Sydney have been dragging down the national figures, according to Lawless.
0: And the Melbourne prices are up mainly because they're still cheaper than Sydney's Process.
1: That's all, and that's all. Now, the management upheaval at the Commonwealth Bank of Australia continues with news that it's losing another senior executive. The long-serving chief executive of CBA's New Zealand lender, ASB Bank Barbara Chapman, will resign at Easter next year. Her departure comes in the wake of management changes following the explosive allegations that Australia's largest bank breached anti-money laundering legislation more than 53% thousand times. Now Ms Chapman has held the role since April 2011 her departure will be around the same time of uh, CBA's outgoing Chief Executive Ian Narav. The CBA announced Narav was leaving in the wake of the charges against CBA filed in the Federal Court by the anti-money laundering agency Austrac. In addition to that the CBA has announced that non-executive Directors Harrison Young and Lorna Inman will retire after CBA's November annual meeting while non-executive Director Andrew Moll, a former CEO of AMP, will step down a year later. So there's lots and lots of people going on at the Commonwealth Bank. Now QBE shares crashed this week after the company warned that 2017 will likely be, in their words, the costliest year in the history of the global insurance industry and will hit its earnings. QBE said the extreme global catastrophe experience in the wake of Cyclone Debbie, Hurricanes Harvey, Irma and Maria hitting the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean and earthquakes in Mexico had all resulted in significant claims and this had impacted on the insurance's businesses QBE said it increased its claims allowance pushing it out to 1.75 Billion in the final quarter of this year and that would result in a $600 million hit to its bottom line and QBE said the recent disaster had forced to increase a combined operating ratio rise of between 100 and 102%. Uh, put it another way, in simple terms it means QBE would be paying a dollar two for every dollar of insurance premiums it collects.
0: They're in trouble, but so are we because uh, the inevitability is the premiums will go up.
1: That's right. Now, finally Gary, QIC, the Queensland Investment Corporation, has expanded its global real estate operations into the united states with a major shopping mall deal it will see qic's global real estate unit buying its joint venture partner forest city enterprises out of 10 u.s regional shopping malls and the portfolio is valued at approximately u.s 3.175 billion that's about 4 billion aussie and under the deal forest city enterprises retail operations and personnel will be transferred across to qic big deal That's right. And that's it for us this week. And next week, we've got a terrific interview with Dean Foley. Uh, He's going to be talking to us all about Indigenous entrepreneurs. In the meantime, you can tune in to us on Twitter at TalkingBizBizZZ or on Facebook. Take care, and we'll talk to you next week.